when you force people to remain at home for a long period of time, they end up doing some pretty hilarious things. Once again, here's uh, just a small thing that people are doing to make some lemonade out of life's lemons. Well, welcome to Prodigal Church, wherever you are joining us from. So many of you that watch us online are not from Central California, um, and we just want to say that you are a part of us. You are just as much a part of Prodigal as anybody else, and we're glad you're with us. And if you're a part of our online community, please feel free to send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and hear how God has used our church to bless you. That would just be such a great encouragement to our team. Now, before we dive in this morning, I want to remind you that next week we're going to be having pastor, author, theologian, Jonathan Martin, uh, delivering his message to us uh, straight from his house in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but specific to us where we are. And Jonathan has just been so influential in my own thinking, in my own spiritual life, and uh, I'm so excited. It's going to be an incredible morning. Don't miss it next week. So we are in week two of When Life Gives You Lemons, and this morning we turn to the life of Joseph. His story is found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and the story of Joseph takes up uh, more of Genesis than any other character, more than Adam and Eve, more than Noah more than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because it's such a long narrative, I'll summarize parts of the story, and at other parts, read directly from the scriptures. And I want to encourage you um, to read the story in its entirety this week at home. Uh, Joseph is the 11th son out of 12. So he's got 10 older brothers. And Joseph is the favorite. When you have your first child, you are insane about their overall well-being, okay? When they're learning to walk and they fall, you pick them up. Oh, my poor baby. Uh, they accidentally spit out their pacifier. It lands on some dirt. You boil water. You put that pacifier in there. You make sure it's sanitized before you ever reuse it again. There will be no dirt touching my child ever. But the more kids you have, the less those things matter, right? By the third child, they're licking asphalt right out front of your house and you're like, it's fine. But there's a point where the older kids are grown, and then the new baby. And your world begins to revolve around them. And I suspect that is what's happening with Joseph. He and his little brother Benjamin are the favorites. And the older brothers resent them. The older brothers resent the younger brothers. And so Joseph has this dream. And in the dream, God elevates him over all of his brothers, that he will one day rule uh, his older brothers. And Joseph makes the bonehead decision to actually go and tell his big brothers this. And uh, uh, they already didn't like Joseph. And then Joseph tells them that someday he's going to be their boss. God said it would be so. So the tension is riding, rising. And so here we find the story in Genesis chapter 37, verse 12. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am, ready to obey you. Then Jacob said to him, Please go and see whether everything is all right with your brothers and all right with the flock. Then bring word back to me. So what are the brothers doing here? Well, they're taking care of the family estate. And what is Joseph doing? Nothing, okay? He's just hanging out with dad, 
okay? And then, if it's not already obvious that Joseph is the favorite, look at the way in which the father, Jacob, asks Joseph to go check on the brothers. Check this out. Please go and see whether everything is all right with your brothers and all right with the flock. Now, I grew up in a loving home, okay? But when my folks asked me to do chores, I don't ever remember them saying please, okay? Oh, John, will you please go clean up the dog poop from the backyard? No. Well, since you asked so nicely, maybe. No, Joseph is so spoiled that when his dad asks him to do chores, he says please. Now, I am guilty of this kind of parenting as well. Um, my daughter is two, and lately she hasn't been eating her bites. And at dinner, we'll say, Ivy, you have to eat all your bites or you don't get any chocolate after dinner. Then she comes to me after dinner asking for candy after, you know, and she, has, like, she hasn't even touched her dinner. And I ask her, did you eat your bites? And she says, no, Dad. And I go, okay, but you only get two pieces of chocolate, not four. You know, we run a tight ship, okay, in our house. With Dex, it's even worse. So as Joseph is approaching his brothers, check to check on them, they begin to devise a scheme to get rid of him. And then they, they capture him, they throw him in a well. And the plan is to take his coat of many colors. Many of you have heard this before. Sometimes it's called the Technicolor Dream Coat. They take it. It was a precious gift from their father. And the plan is to dip that in goat's blood or, or animal blood and then bring it back to dad and say, Joseph, your son is dead. He was, he was killed by a wild animal. And while he's at the bottom of of Midianite merchants begin going by in a caravan. And uh, Joseph's brothers decide to sell Joseph to those Midianites. So in one afternoon, Joseph went from being the spoiled favorite in his father's house to a slave in a people that he's never known. Joseph dreamed a dream, a dream of leadership, a dream of influence, and now he's a slave. Every one of us has a dream, and every one of us has a process to get to that reality. And the process is never what we expect or desire. Never. Never. This wasn't part of the deal. Two months inside my house, that wasn't part of the deal. Losing my job wasn't part the deal. Being single wasn't part of the deal. Before your dream comes to maturity, God wants you to come to maturity. See, we're focused always on the dream, and God is focused in on the dreamer. He wants you to be able to stand when you do get there. In the 19th century, the only way to ship fresh Atlantic codfish from Boston, where it was famous, to San Francisco, was to sail around the South American continent. Uh, the trip took months. So as you can imagine, the first attempts to dress the cod in Boston, pack it nicely with ice, uh, failed miserably, right? When the fish finally got to California, it was inedible. Okay, you couldn't eat it. And the next attempt... They decided, let's build these big holding tanks, like a, almost like an aquarium, on the boat. 
and put the cod in there, and then we'll be, they'll be fresh when we uh, eat them in California. And again, it was, the results were less than satisfactory because the cod didn't get much exercise during the trip, so they were pasty and relatively tasteless by the time they got to their destination. Finally, someone suggested, why don't we put some catfish with the cod in the And that, that was a wild idea because catfish are the natural enemy of cod. But sure enough, when a few catfish were placed in the tanks with them, the cod kept swimming to stay out of eating range. And when they reached San Francisco, they were in perfect shape. You see, sometimes it is in the midst of hostile surroundings that we preserve what's good inside. Sometimes in the midst of hostile surroundings, we're able to preserve what is actually good inside. And this is true with Joseph. Joseph sold to Midianite merchants who then take him to Egypt. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him there. So Joseph, he sold to a powerful Egyptian official. Uh, verse 2, The Lord is with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph was a son in the house of Jacob, and God was with him. Then he was a slave in the house of Potiphar, and God was with him. God shows us through Joseph that it is possible to prosper in the middle of life's difficulties. It won't always happen, but it is possible. Moping Living in the past and constantly being negative, they're not going to let you experience the prosperity that God wants to show you in the midst of difficulty. Those three things will hinder you. They don't help you. Moping, that constant drag. Okay, I guess I'll wake up today and face the day. It's living in the past, always thinking of how it used to be. Keep, that can keep you from experiencing what God wants you to do in the moment, now being negative. Negativity is like a cloud of dirt that surrounds pigpen from peanuts, right? The sun could be shining so brightly around you, and then you have the smell of orange blossoms in the air, but your negativity doesn't allow you to see it or smell it. It's just this cloud that goes with you wherever you go. Let me paint the picture of two different days, okay? Day one, Day one, you wake up and you realize it's kind of like Groundhog Day because you're going to be doing the same things that you did the day before with little change, okay? Some of you might be experiencing that now. You could get stressed out over it, but over breakfast, you recognize that there are people who are hungry in the world and you're grateful for the food that you are eating. And since you work from home, your email, and it's your boss, okay? 
And he's expecting from you something that is impossible to deliver on because no one's buying what you're selling in this season. And so you could get stressed out, but you remind yourself there's a lot of people who don't have a job in this economy. So you're grateful. And at the end of the day, you're tired. You're close to going to bed. You begin scrolling through social media on your phone and you realize it's your friend's birthday and you forgot. And so, you, you know, you don't want to text, you don't feel like it, but you know that you might be able to bring a smile to them as their birthday is beginning to end. And, and so, instead of just a typical happy birthday or HBD, um, you search through the gifts on your phone and you send her the Beyonce birthday gift. Okay? Nothing better. And then you giggle as you press send. Then you lay your head down on your pillow and you're exhausted but thankful and you fall asleep. Day two. You wake up and you realize you're going to be doing the same thing you did as yesterday because you can't go anywhere. Over breakfast, you vent in frustration about how unfair this whole situation is and how difficult it has made your life. And since you work from home, you check your email, you're reminded of how much of a jerk your boss is and how hard he is to work for, and he's asking you to sell in the midst of this economy. So you stare at your screen and you invent cuss words to describe the kind of human being your inconsiderate pea brain of a boss is. At the end of the day, you're tired. You're close to going to bed. You begin scrolling through social media on your phone and you're mad because it looks like Sharon from down the street is having the time of her life in quarantine. Board games with her kids, quarantine life, LOL, and you realize it's her birthday and you forgot. But she didn't send you a birthday text in 2016. So you don't send anything. And you fall asleep exhausted, absolutely hating life. What is the difference between those two days? Because I'll tell you this, the content of those two days are exactly the same. What has changed is the person's attitude, the person's focus, what they choose to keep in the center of their mind. When we choose the right focus, we are partnering with the Holy Spirit and allowing God to move in our lives and through our lives in a greater way. My encouragement for us is that we partner with the Spirit. We, like Joseph, can experience a prosperity even in difficulty. So Joseph, he's put in charge of all of Potiphar's household, and he is prospering. But Potiphar's wife was the desperate housewife of ancient Egypt, okay? And Joseph, to her, was the new pool boy. And so she saw him, and she makes a move on Joe, and he resists. He does the right thing. He has integrity, and so he runs away from the situation and then she lies, accuses him of rape and then he's thrown into a dungeon. God, where are you? God, what's your deal? This wasn't part of the deal. This wasn't part of the dream. I'm in a dungeon. I did what was right. We've been there before. I've done it right. I kept my integrity at work and if I had cheated, I'd have been promoted by now. What's up, God? Why me? Why does it seem like the bad guys always win and the good guys always lose? How many times in prison did Joseph say, God, I thought you had a plan for me. God, I thought you had big dreams for me. Joseph had plenty of opportunities to throw in the towel on life and on God, but pain and suffering do not have to define us. We do not have to be defeated by our bad circumstances. Hear that, church. 
You do not have to be defeated by your bad circumstances. Joseph, instead of hardening his heart, he kept it wide open. What if we were to do the same? Church, hear this. Instead of hardening your heart in the midst of this quarantine season, would you keep it wide open for what God might want to do in and through you? Joseph kept his heart open because one night in the dungeon, he hears this guy in bunk B wake up from a dream, wanting to know what the dream meant. Now, Joseph could have closed himself off and he could have said, you know, I'm done with dreams. Okay, zip it about the dreams. Don't want to hear about it. But instead, he interprets the dream of this other prisoner. And guess what? The dream comes true. And this other prisoner, this other bunkmate, becomes the cupbearer to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And in the story of Joseph, this is not the last time a dream comes true. Okay, now you're going to have to read it for yourself this week. But within two years of being unjustly thrown into a dungeon, Joseph is elevated to second in command of all of Egypt, and God uses him to save thousands of people. So Joseph was a son in the house of Jacob, and God was with him. Then he was a slave in the house of Potiphar, and God was with him. And then he was a prisoner in a dungeon in Egypt, and God was with him. And he became one of the most powerful men and influential men on earth. And guess who was with him? Of course. God was with him the whole time. He's with you as well. You remember Polaroids? Okay, I, I grew up in the 1980s, so I remember them before they were retro, okay? You take a picture, and you shake it, and you look at it, and you're like, ooh, there's some green. Can't make it out. So you shake it again. Oh, there's some blue. Okay, I, I took the photo, yet I can barely make out what it is. But as the shaking continues, the picture becomes more clear. That's what God does for our dreams. The process is the Polaroid shaking. You may not be able to make out the picture, but God always delivers on his dreams. Kenneth Dodge tells this story about an eight-year-old boy named Frank. And Frank had a date with his dad to go fishing one Saturday. And on Friday night, he laid, Frank laid everything out. He got it ready to go. But on Saturday morning, he awoke, and it was raining, so they couldn't go fishing. And so eight-year-old Frank, some of you parents can relate, he grumbled and cried and he complained all morning. Kicked the furniture, kicked the dog and the cat. Nothing was right. His father tried to explain to him that, that farmers need the rain, you know, but that didn't satisfy Frank. Over and over again, he complained. Why does it have to rain today? About noon, the clouds broke. And the sun came out. And his dad went up to him and said, Hey, Frankie, we can't go fishing all day but we can fish this afternoon. Let's go. So they jumped into the truck and they drove to the lake. They stayed all afternoon, caught more fish than ever, and they had the time of their lives. When they came home, they cooked some of the fish for supper. And as they were sitting down to eat, Frank's dad asked him to say the blessing. So eight-year-old Frank prayed this prayer. God, if I sounded a little grumpy earlier today, it was because I couldn't see far enough ahead. That's the problem, isn't it? Most of the time, we just can't see far enough ahead. Joseph is in a well. 
God, where are you? Joseph is sold into slavery. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Joseph is thrown into a dungeon. God, where are you? What are you doing? Most of the time, we just can't see far enough ahead. As Noe and Ashley begin to play, uh, I'll close with this poem that I think will move you in the way it moved me. Lord, I've never moved a mountain, and I guess I never will. All the faith that I could muster wouldn't move a small anthill. Yet I'll tell you, Lord, I'm grateful for the joy of knowing thee and for all the mountain moving down through life you've done for me. When I needed some help, you lifted me from the depths of great despair. And when burdens, pain, and sorrow have been more than I can bear, you have always been my courage to restore life's troubled sea and to move these little mountains that have looked so big to me. Many times when I've had problems and when bills I've had to pay and the worries and the heartaches just kept mounting every day. Lord, I don't know how you did it. Can't explain the where's or why. All I know, I've seen these mountains turn to blessings in disguise. No, I've never moved a mountain for my faith is far too small. Yet I thank you, Lord of heaven. You have always heard my call. And as long as there are mountains in my life, I'll have no fear for the mountain-moving Jesus is my strength and always near. God, may it be so, as we trust you in the middle of our own wells and dungeons and deserts. We need you, God. Let us feel and sense your presence in a special way today, wherever we are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.